I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror cult exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z. As always, I'm your host, Derek Carey. And tonight, instead of me sitting with some friends, watching a bunch of shitty ass movies i've decided to bring one of my filmmaker friends on and we're gonna just sit and shoot the shit and who is this you can read the title of the episode so obviously you know who this is this is my friend jill six she's directed a, a slew of great short films as of late jill welcome to the show hello thank you for having me <laughs> so um, how did you get started doing this? Um, well, through I run a screening series here in Kansas City, where I'm from, called Slaughter Movie House. And I started that about four years ago. And through that, I met a lot of filmmakers. And that's really what inspired me to, to try it myself. <laughs> I only actually made my first movie like two and a half years ago I started it. So I'm very new, I feel like, to this. Yeah, but you've been a horror fan your entire life, right? Yes. And I made, you know, stuff on my dad's VHS camcorder. Oh, you're one of those. I was in middle school, so those are my first real films, of course. Do you still have those around? I I don't think I – I have probably a couple. I have all these tapes I need to go through. There's some that I really wish I had, though. Me and my friends would actually remake movies. <laughs> oh, my God. It's horrible. Like, which movies were you remaking? <laughs> I can't. Uh, this is embarrassing. But it's one of my favorite movies. I would <laughs> We remade Romeo and Juliet multiple times. <laughs> now, which one were you inspired to remake? Was oh it the old God. one or was it the Leonardo DiCaprio one? Leonardo. <laughs> of course of course um oh my god and we were we would act these out pretty seriously but then we would just watch them together and like cry laughing right um and just a few of us would play every single character so it was ridiculous so you're are, are you trying to tell us that you're not going to be releasing to the these to the public anytime soon <laughs> i wish i could find some of them i'll find a way <laughs> that'll be, be too embarrassing like what is the new documentary i just saw somebody trying to do a kickstarter for um the guys that did that shot for shot remake of raiders of the lost ark you remember that thing i do not yeah there's these dudes that they shot it all on a vhs camcorder and it's literally a super lovingly hilarious remake back in i believe in the 90s is when it was made shot on video of uh Raiders of the Lost Ark and people tend to love this stuff so maybe we need to bring the Romeo and Juliet once you get to be this huge director and you're you're making millions of dollars you bring back the Romeo and Juliet remake <laughs> and and you release it but shot on video on VHS of course yes the the original one that I made or I do it again no don't do it again <laughs> just re it's the lost films of Jill 6 
oh, okay. back. We would also do little like sketch comedy type stuff. Oh my, it was, I don't know what we thought we were doing. Well, you were I don't know if anyone would think it was funny other than us, you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> I think everybody, when they're that age, back at that time, were doing was doing that same thing. Because I know my brothers and I, we were making the stupidest thing. I'm glad those tapes are lost. I don't even want to know if I went back and looked at them, what the hell those things look like. We can make a compilation of all different filmmakers' old videos. I think that's a great idea. Forget about uh, the ABCs of death. Forget about <laughs> VHS. <laughs> it's kind of just this is reading. this is the real vhs <laughs> it will actually be shot on vhs as opposed to what vhs was shot on at least it's a little more genuine but uh speaking of abcs of death weren't you involved with one of them um yes i was just i was the second unit director for the soska sisters segment but the scene that i shot ended up at the end of like after the credits is like the secret scene. So to me, it is obvious that it's part of it, but that's because I know, but it's supposed to be part of their segment. And that was a complete surprise to me when I watched it. That was like a right place at the right time. I had just shot call girl, which stars Lawrence Harvey and Tristan, but Lawrence was still in town and they wanted Lawrence to cameo in their short. So they just had me shoot this one little scene or it's really just one shot. And so it was kind of, it was a, I mean, it's still a huge deal to me, but so I go see the film. They actually like broadcasted the world premiere from fantastic fest to a couple of the Alamo draft houses. And so I saw it that night and the scene's not in the, in their segment. And I'm like, God damn it. That <laughs> I'm sucks. left on the, on the floor. <laughs> And I'm like, why did they at least warn me? <laughs> and then I watched the credits because we still, I was with all my friends that helped on it. And then it plays at the end and we were just freaking out. So it was, it was an awesome surprise. But yeah, I had no idea. And I first just thought it was totally gone. Yeah, I just couldn't believe they didn't tell me because for like five minutes I was insanely pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> you were just and sitting in the seat? Stewing. And then when it played, I was like, oh, man, I should have been down there for the premiere. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. That's cool. That's cool. So how did you get hooked up with them, the Soska sisters? Uh, was it a matter of uh, just networking on social media? Was it through um, the, the Slaughter Movie House or just doing the, the con circuit? How did you get hooked up with them? Well, a friend of mine told me about them a couple years ago and just said that I like you should figure out how to get contacted with these girls. I hadn't heard of them before that. And then actually I went to visit Lawrence while he was filming The Human Centipede 3 in L.A. because the American Mary premiere happened to be like the same time. So I went out for that. And I think Lawrence – actually, I'm not sure if he had met them yet at that point – but I went with him, so I kind of met them there, but, you know, they were partying, and it's the big night for them, but right. that's kind of my connection, but social media is the most amazing tool in the world. Right. <laughs> I kept in contact just through there, and then worked with Tristan, and they work with her all the time. It's, you know, it's a, t- you know, it's a tight community, yep. um, which is one of the coolest things about it, I think. And then they make that blood drive every year and just include so many people. They're like, once you're under their wing, they kind of just take you everywhere, it feels like. And it's pretty awesome. That's great because, as you know, um, just doing film in general, being a filmmaker, um, it's kind of a dog-eat-dog world. 
So it's really tough to find anybody that harbors a sense of community. And when you do, you tend to hold them very close and very strongly. And uh, speaking of community, you've worked with my my dear bud, John Pata, quite a num- number of times. So you actually have Wisconsin horror roots. Yes, I guess I do. <laughs> you do. So how did you get hooked up with Johnny? I saw Deadweight first, his film. And I saw that because I was right. I was writing a blog for this horror site called Downright Creepy, and I think someone else had reviewed it, and I just wanted to watch it. So I watched it and then just started talking to him about screening it here in Kansas City. Just kept in contact. Then when I started to make a film, he helped me a lot on my first one, and then I helped on his short Pity and then I stole like his whole crew from Pity, <laughs> and they all they shot my latest short, and he edited my latest one that's about to come out. So I'm really excited. <laughs> he's amazing, and he's kind of he really inspired me to do this too. Well, he's that kind of cat. He's just the the kind of dude that is very genuine, and he genuinely wants to have that sense of community with everything that he does. He he's always willing to help out and stick a hand out there. And uh, he's one of the few people I've met in this industry that uh, I can wholeheartedly trust when he says something, he's going to go through with it. And uh, definitely. Yeah, that's it's great. So that's how you and I actually came into contact was through his Oshkosh Horror Film Festival, which is unfortunately no more. It died. I know. Kind of sucks. <laughs> I told him he had a he should have found find someone to pass the reins onto. I understand it being too much and wanting to focus on other stuff, but right, yeah, it was doing it did so well. It got so big so fast. It did well. He you know he had that sense of community and the people that came there felt it and had a good time. And then when he opened it up to anyone all over the world, it just kind of exploded. And I think it got to be a little too much uh, for him. Now somebody else has picked up the reins actually. Um, yeah, I know. I noticed there's a, a new fest. Is it called? I can't think of the name. The new horror fest, the Northeast Wisconsin horror fest. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You see what they did there? So it is new. <laughs> oh my God. Well, it's, it's run by a lot of the same cats, so it's going to yeah. be, I'm sure, and I think it's going to be at the time as well, so uh, that'll work out great for him. I'm happy for him. But uh, speaking of, like, film festival, I mean, I'd love to hear more about uh, the Slaughter Movie House. How did you get started with this, and what is the idea behind it? And uh, just kind of tell me a little bit more about it, because I've actually had a film screen there. I've never been there, but I've actually had one of my films screen there. <laughs> I know. When are you going to come? I'm I'm trying like a year ago. Actually, Well, you're all the way down Kansas City. It's not just like hop, skipping a jump from where I'm at Um, two or was it two other filmmakers or just one came all the way down from there (laughs) to the screening last year. Oh, that's what this (laughs) is going to be about. It's going to be a guilt trip now. That's what's going down. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Well, I started Slaughter because I went down to actually to Texas Frightmare Weekend. 2012 and i saw a few films that's that's kind of my first big horror convention it was and 
I saw a couple independent films there and hung out with some of the filmmakers and I'd never met people like that before, I guess. And I was just so inspired by that weekend. And it's like, how can I be a part of this world? And that was before I thought I could make a movie. And I've experienced putting together events. I like to organize things. Some of my friends owned a couple of bars in Kansas City and they already wanted to do a movie night. So I luckily had a place to do it, which is the hardest part about it, I think. A yeah. put, you know, a place I didn't have to pay for. And so we just started like we do it the first Monday of every month and it's free admission and we have free submissions for filmmakers. And it started small, but now we I mean, we're almost four years into it and we actually moved moved it to a theater a little over a year ago. So we're in a local theater so it's even a nicer place to show the films we can show a more a wider range of stuff now that we're in a theater and we have like a great turnout all the time it used to be we had like a 15 person you know main crowd now now i feel like average we have 40 to 50 people come and it's just it's a lot of fun it's just a cool little community in Kansas City but through that i've met so many filmmakers we show shorts and features from all over the world we didn't show shorts for a while but once i finally even when i first saw them, actually my first short film ever i was like these exist these are awesome <laughs> and i we will have nights where we'll just show all shorts because there's so many shorts out there almost more than there are features you know in the indie world it's the starting block it's usually what everybody starts off doing is the shorts yeah and they tend to be higher quality at that level I hate to say it, you know, because it's smaller time, you can put it more into it. Right. Um, but it all started with uh, Dear God No, crazy exploitation film. Yeah, that's met, putting it lightly. Yeah, I met all those guys in Texas, and one of them used to do a movie night, and I was like, I should do that and show this. And this other movie I saw there this week, that weekend, uh, Bloody Bloody Bible Camp. Oh, and so we more started doing just stuff like that since we were in a bar. Or we'll do serious stuff too. It just that kind of stuff didn't work in a bar setting. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and in June will be our anniversary. So you met the crazy uh, SOBs that are behind Dear God No, the biker movie with damn Sasquatches and Frankenstein's and all sorts <laughs> of crazy ass shit. So didn't you get to work with those guys recently? Yeah, I s stayed close with that with all those guys, uh, the director, James Bickert, and he announced last year that they were about to make the uh, sequel to that movie. And it's uh, Frankenstein Created Bikers. And I wrote him and said I wanted to help somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and he offered me the position of assistant director, and I've never done that before. So right. I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> I want to go on this crazy adventure. So, and they were shooting it on 35 millimeters. So that's rad I as fuck. Just wanted to experience the whole thing was what there's no reason not to try it out. And, uh, they're all down in Atlanta. So I went down to Atlanta last May and it was just tons of fun. I mean, every day it was like machine guns one day, the next day, Bigfoot the next day, we're like killing 10, 10 people. It was, it was like making, I feel like, an action. I mean, I've never <laughs> been on any kind of set like that. <laughs> it was insane. Lots of boobs, lots of blood, and some sex scenes that are like, 
I don't know if there is a hell, we're all going to go into it. <laughs> I mean, we made like borderline pornographies in this movie, but the trailer just came out and I think they're going to be announcing a premiere very soon. So I'm really excited. I think they've announced that there's going to be some sort of sneak peek at horror hound, like uh-huh. maybe just a few scenes, I think not the whole film. I'm not sure, but. Well, um, that's. I think that's coming soon. I have only seen the trailer, so I'm just dying to see this thing. It's two and a half hours long. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> and it's ridiculous. I can't wait. <laughs> well, if it's anything like the first film, two and a half hours of that film will make everybody's brains explode. Well, a million times bigger. This one has Tristan risking it, running around with a patch over one eye, like blowing everybody up. Uh, Lawrence is in it. It's amazing. It's so many movies in one movie. It's it's insane. I can't wait to do it. I can't wait to see this thing. That sounds awesome. Me too. (laughs) I can't believe it's ready already. Well, hey, I'm sure they had a team. It sounded like they had a decent budget for it. Didn't they do a Kickstarter or something? Yeah. It did pretty well. Well, when you get when you get money, you can actually afford a team of people to to work on the film. You don't have to be like us, who is like two people to do everything on the entire film. <laughs> film is expensive, though. Is and it? And you actually run out of film <laughs> very <laughs> that, frequently. That's a thing people aren't used to. That kind of discipline, you know, having to do actually rehearse and get things done right, especially on effects based films. Yeah, not you can't shoot something eight million times just because. Right. I thought that's pretty cool that they decided to go that route. Do you know what was the reason they decided to go with 35 millimeter just for the aesthetic or what was it? Yeah, he, I, he just had never shot on 35. He's never used digital. He Everything else is on 16. He's just a diehard fan of like, – he jokes that he doesn't watch anything that came out past like 79. <laughs> and <laughs> – He's just a James is just like an encyclopedia of like this whole world of films that I honestly don't know anything about. And it's it's amazing his knowledge on this stuff. Yeah, it's it's definitely you can tell within the films that there's a deep love for that 70s kind of road biker films and uh, just gonzo exploitation, like just garbage. I mean, it just like seethes in those films. Yeah. Or at least in, in the one film that I've, see, I've seen, in the trailer for the new one, yeah, it looks like an extension, like a crazier-ass ex- extension of uh, that first film. So that's awesome. I can't wait to see that. So what are the films that inspire you to make the films that you uh, that you make now? That's a huge question. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm more of a fan of stuff that almost is borderline drama. I really love dramas, honestly, but I love... When it comes to horror, like more emotional horror, mm-hmm. like m- like the movie May, I love. Oh, or great. and I think this re- these aren't as emotional, but they're the same kind of characters, like t- Leatherface in the original Texas, or like Candyman. They're kind of like misunderstood, vulnerable characters, but they've been turned into monsters. Um, I like sad v- villains more so than scary stuff. Ultimately, I do want to make more emotional things. My new short, The Stylist, is more like that. And I'm pretty excited about finally showing something more like what I ultimately really want to do. Sure. What else? But like, or like um, in the original Maniac, like the scene of him sobbing with the mannequin, like that kind of stuff is, 
my favorite kind of stuff. I, I love all movies. I'm also, I'm not a like big hater of things. Um, Did you see the remake of Maniac? Yes. I liked the remake too. I like that they just put it in a totally different place and made it a different kind of guy, but the same character. Like right. it being set in LA with this scrawny dude is like the perfect version in a different setting. Yeah. With the it's same the psyche. Yeah, totally. I thought so too. It it did feel very LA, but it still had that same like nasty, grimy, oh gosh, yeah. I'd be watching this feel that the original one had. The uh and I feel like I was just saying this and it sounds messed up, but that psyche of this killer like that's kind of the same in all these movies it's that you know repressed abused mama's boy or girl that grew up with these issues they're all kind of the same character almost when you boil them down what do you think draws you to that kind of stuff i don't i've always loved sad things which is weird even as a little kid i liked movies that made me cry like i would sit i remember like sitting down with a movie like the land before time and like with the intention of wanting to cry like i liked to find movies that made me do like feel that much i'm still like that i'm a huge sap like a (laughs) anything can make me cry Um, i i cry at the drop of a hat with a lot of films it's terrible i can't watch super sappy stuff because it'll get me almost <laughs> it'll get me almost instantly. I try to watch those when nobody else is around. Oh, you can do it. <laughs> That's the best. Or like one of the first films that I saw that was more like a um confronting disturbing film was um Requiem for a Dream. Oh yeah. That was the first kind of movie I saw like that was that type of thing where you're just like it's a movie that destroys you. Yeah, it's a very confrontational kind of film. And when I, when I saw that one, I was like, oh wow! Like movies like this exist. To me, that's like the epitome of drama and horror. It's like incredibly emotional and horrifying. <laughs> Those kind of things. Like you, I don't even know how you categorize what kind of movie that is. That stuff's the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like. I, I'm also a big fan of, of stuff that that makes you feel, and it. it, it m- most films tend to go to something safe these days and don't want to go there, especially horror. I don't know what it is. The horror genre in general just seems to want to just you know, here's something that you've known from before. You're going to be familiar with it, and here you go. It, but I, I tend to like stuff that that's a little out of left field and that kind of punches you in the gut a little bit. So I think I'm I'm actually with you on this. Those are the kind of films that I I tend to like more is more of the emotional stuff. So uh, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> I just get really sad when I sit and I I try to watch any of this new horror stuff. Man, it's oh man, I I, I hate complaining about movies, but it, it's been hard lately trying to find good stuff in the theaters to sit and like rally behind. Did you see The Witch yet? I did. What'd you think of that? I loved The Witch. Talk to me about it. What, what, wasn't but, it? But wait, but what you're saying, like the stuff, horror, the horror that goes into the theater is typically the worst representation of what's being made, which is what's, it's frustrating because 
just everyday people, they don't know really even know that all that other stuff comes out on demand. And so that's all that they see. So it's like horror really does suck to those people. You know, like all they see is Paranormal Activity 7. But like something like The Witch coming out is like amazing. I can't even believe it got this kind of release. I'm happy, but it's just shocking that something like that would get a wide release. I think, you know, there's been a couple of those films that have opened. I've read a lot of people point to It Follows as being the gateway for what is now they're going to start giving chances to some of these. And let's not say the witch is a little film. I mean, it had a budget of $5 million. Yeah. (laughs) In in Hollywood, that's a tiny budget. But to us. Yeah. To us, that's a freaking insane. Yeah. An insane amount of money that I I couldn't even begin to wrap my head around. But I've, I've heard that it follows. It was kind of the gateway to where now we're going to get some more of these, which I'm glad I didn't particularly like it follows, but I'm kind of glad because the witch is just fucking amazing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I didn't love it follows either. I do not understand that, (laughs) but but I'm happy for anything. That's not a remake or a, more sequels to everything else that we've seen a thousand times right totally what are we saying about the witch what are we saying about the witch i tend to not be a person that that digs period pieces but there was something so insane about what was going on in that film and it mostly for me because i'm not a religious person at all i don't know if i you don't strike me as a particularly <laughs> religious person are you no. So I guess from from an outsider standpoint, the the real horror of that movie isn't the quote unquote you know supernatural crap. Yeah, it it's how, religion. Yeah, it's how insane these people were about fucking their religion, and to the point where they were not trusting their own blood. Yeah, that's all really what it's about. It's it's so good. I read an interview when you're saying about the period piece about the uh, that director. He's a production designer, or that's his background. Ah. And um, the detail, like every piece of everything in there, is legitimately how it was back then. They even like used tools mm-hmm. from then to make the fence and stuff. Like crazy attention to these details. And he said that that's he's like, that's why a movie like works. He's like, it only immerses you if you have all of those details right. And it like it was such a good interview. It was so cool. (laughs) But this guy is way into that stuff, like research this for like five years. Yeah, yeah, totally. And didn't he use actual like a lot of the dialogue was from actual Salem witch trial like cases? Yeah, it's fucking insane. It's it's so like it's so immersive. I, I at first I was kind of worried, but then as it went along, it wasn't until that scene where um the mother, where she basically just looks back and says how she lost her faith in God, that was just like holy shit. This is fucking insanely powerful. Like just a bunch of people so hung up on having something outside of themselves save them as opposed to taking matters into their own hands. That was scary. That was really scary. Even before the, the, the whole ending where, well, I don't want to get into, I want to spoil it for people who haven't gone and seen it, but Jesus Christ, that religion (laughs) scares me to my core. It scares me. So the, the witch is like 
one of the the first true horror films I've seen in a long time. Oh my god, it is so good. I can't even be. I don't even know. I I saw. I've seen it twice actually. I went to see it again alone because that first time you're so hyped up, it's almost like you can't even absorb it. At least I am. And it was awful in there. It was nice to see it alone and pay more attention to things. God, it's it's just so beautiful, and it's it's just shocking to me because it's so not mainstream and i but i hope it's still doing well i wondered how like their second weekend did because i think the first one did super well yeah well it was also <clears throat> the, the limited release so i think that's what you know sparked their interest in the, okay we're gonna wide release this thing i don't know i haven't looked back on it i they've been pumping it like every time i turn on youtube i see a preview for the witch every time i turn on tv it's on so hopefully it's still doing well if it does do well i mean that's good for all of us that are horror fans. We finally get to see some more good horror. As yeah, and people go buy movie tickets and stop stealing movies if you want to see more movies. Right, one thousand percent. Which is which is also another reason why I, I've always loved the idea that you guys have with the, the Slaughter Movie House and bringing uh, a. You're also trying to harbor community there in Kansas City. Um, with bringing all of these filmmakers in, bringing their movies in, showing them there. Do, do you have the filmmakers come by and actually like introduce the movies? What do you guys do with these um, events? We have no money to bring people in, but we have right. had people um, come in and we you know, invite everybody to come. But um, we actually have had quite a few people come in town for it. And like last month we had Stacy uh, Pippi Hammond from the director of Etheria Film Festival come and we showed a whole program of their stuff. And this actually a week from tonight, or this is not when this will be playing, but yeah, our next Slaughter Movie House, <laughs> we have the director coming all the way from England, which that's the obviously the furthest anyone's come. That's wild. Um, Liam Reagan, who directed Banjo, but We've had a few people, most more so, just driving from the Midwest that are closer to us. But we love to have the filmmakers there, and we'll do a question and answer, and normally go out somewhere afterwards with them. Um, but yeah, we love to have guests whenever they want to come. Uh, I can't believe this guy is coming from England. I told everyone if they they have to show up and bring everyone they know. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, this will be the one time nobody comes yeah. out. And he's Crickets. like, why the fuck did I come all the way over here? <laughs> no, the dude shows up and it just crickets. It's just fucking crickets. I'm like, I swear people normally come to this thing. <laughs> Don't no, worry. They will come or else. <laughs> or else. <laughs> Oh, man. So you got the stylus uh, coming out. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, my God. I feel like I've been making this movie for my entire life. <laughs> um, we actually shot it a year ago, and this project is like a million times bigger than anything I've done, and I jumped right into it after Call Girl. So post-production has taken me like twice as long as I thought it would. But <laughs> What's the reason with- for that? Really, it's just so much of it's been a learning process and been kind of the first time I've done a lot of these things. Um, I mean, I'm not doing them, but just being involved and directing things that I don't understand. But also, I also had to kind of refill positions, which I don't want to be dramatic on an interview. But um, 
John Pat actually saved my life. I kind of lost my editor last minute. And so just multiple things put it behind. And I made two other tiny shorts in the meantime. And this one is kind of like my, I'm putting like everything into it. I'm kind of more professional people I've never worked with, people out of town. And it's just taken forever. And we want to get it into a decent festival. So now we probably, you know, we won't premiere till the fall because the spring isn't such a big time for horror festivals. But uh, right. it's just been, yeah, it's been really challenging for me. It's Call Girl was my first film and it was a pretty simple concept. So that's kind of why I did it. And then I jumped right into this and it's, it's just taken me a while to, with everything. But that being said, it's not, I'm insanely proud of it. I can't wait to get it out. It's way more than I ever dreamed it could be. Um, I'm just pumped, but it's taken me so long that it has been hard on me. It's made me kind of doubt myself or doubt or feel that people have lost their faith in me mm. due to the time it's taken. Yeah. Um, it's been a little hard, but I can't freaking wait to get, to get it out there. I think most people, man, that uh, know and have been around, you know, independent film realize that sometimes it's not just a budgetary thing. It's just sometimes life happens because when you're at this level, this isn't your primary source of income. This isn't your only job. So some things have to wait. You don't have a budget to hire a bunch of people to sit and edit this for you or to do all of this stuff for you. So it's, it's happened to me. I totally feel what you're saying where yeah. you, you've been working on a project forever and you get to the point where it's like, man, perfect example. I shot with my bud, Jason column, who uh, we, we made that scream, uh, scream queen documentary together. We shot this film in 2012 called safe inside. What is the year? 2016? 2016 it's still not out so there's been so many people that have been like so anxious for this movie to come out but the budget is gone and the picture's locked and we have somebody working on sound now finally that's just the way the cookie crumbles so i i you know this is something about you know independent horror film that a lot of people don't tend to get when you're at this level the micro budget level as we are that it takes us a lot of time to be able to do this stuff because it takes money to be able to make this stuff definitely and when you're not when you don't have the money everyone's doing it you know in their spare moments in life and it takes so many moving parts it's been awesome though i've used actually or hired director of photography on pity robert stern um and production designer Sarah Sharp. Actually, they produced the stylus with me. And so they've been along the whole thing every step. And they're both crazy busy, like working on stuff full time. And oh, so yeah. we're all just emailing, you know, like it can take us two weeks to get one one simple one thing done that could take a day. And, you know, if we were all getting paid to do this, <laughs> but right. you know, we're all just doing it because we are passionate about it. And yeah, they've been on this the whole time, and I couldn't have done it. You know, they've taught me so much. They're extremely experienced, and I'm so thankful for them. They made this come like come true, and this is exactly what I wanted. Feels great, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know. It's been such a long road. I just can't wait for everyone. To, and you know what it's like when you've been doing filming for so long. 
then you just can't wait for people to see it. You're like, there's this I, thing I'm sitting on. I just want people to know it. Exists. You're tired of talking about it. Yeah, it feels like, yeah, you're like, I'm done talking about it. Just wait till I can show it to you. <laughs> right. Um, and, and when you do a Kickstarter, you also feel that extra pressure of of time, you know? You owe this to people. It's not just you can't take as much time. It feels like, you know, you need to, you gotta, you want to be, you know, live up to your word. So. Absolutely. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people, you know, bringing that up in some of the boards of some of the, like the, the indie film boards on Facebook and stuff like that, where you see these people that have contributed sit and complain that the the film's not out yet. And immediately, you know what, the, what it is. This guy's a swindler. This girl's a swindler. They just take taking us for our money, and we're never going to get anything. And blah, we hate them. Let's. So that's also more pressure. <laughs> you know. Great. I didn't even know these things existed. So oh, now. I've seen them. <laughs> I've seen them, and and these guys are brutal. And it's, you know, it's a, it's unfortunate. It's so hard to make films. It's so hard, as you said. There's so many moving parts. In order to just finish one, that's an accomplishment in and of itself and to have like people depending uh, that have given you money to sit and worry about that's something that's always in the back of every filmmaker's mind is if somebody has financed that film in any sort of way trying to recoup that cost is also something that's like weighing on you not only to deliver something that you think is good that follows through on your vision on what you've you know you've set out to make but also making sure that it's financially and commercially viable in order to make some of that money back to give it back to the people. So filmmaking ain't no joke, man. Man, I can't even imagine this. The Kickstarter stuff is, you know, the pressure is enough. I can't imagine dealing with like real investors and the idea of having to make for sure make money off of That's just so it's so terrifying just to make a film. Worrying about that is a whole nother thing, like you said. Yeah, it's I've been involved with a couple productions where, you know, there were investors and uh, I'm glad I wasn't the one who had to answer for it. (laughs) But but it is it's definitely stressful. It definitely adds another element to the back end of those films where you feel you really have to deliver something because you need to pay thousands of and in well, in our case, thousands of dollars, as opposed to you know the big studio things. When something flops for a big studio, that's millions of dollars that are gone and out the window. Where in our case, it's hundreds to thousands of dollars. <laughs> so you're making all these shorts. Are you digging making shorts? Are you wanting to make a feature? I do. I just don't know how you pay for it. <laughs> like we're saying, <laughs> making a short is so hard to get it paid you know even with a million favors that's hard so god i just i I want to i feel like i maybe need to make a few more shorts and get some more experience um but yeah i just want to know where people find enough money to do that (laughs) (laughs) well you hope you've made something that's attracted somebody yeah toward your work that is the goal one of these days i would love to be a part of an anthology we'll see what happens <laughs> well, well don't look at me i'm not making any more hole in the wall movies that shit's done <laughs> you're not gonna make a whole series of them dude i've had so many people come up to me saying oh when are you gonna make part two like people from all it was a wisconsin thing and then people out of the state coming at me i'm like man this first one nearly killed me i, I ain't gonna do this shit again fuck that 
as much as you, I wanted it to be, you know, super fun for everybody involved. It became something else altogether. I'm glad people are digging it and, uh, and all that stuff, but man, what are you going to do next? I'm, I'm writing a feature right now. Awesome. So we'll see what happens. Um, I, I've got the first act written. I've sent it out to some of uh, my friends, and it's been overtly positive. So I'm uh, looking forward to finishing that up, whether or not, like you said, I'll find money to make this thing, or if I'm just going to have to shoot it piecemeal and do it all myself, which I have a feeling I'll have to do. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. It's so tough. To like when you're at this level to to get the urge and the determination to sit and actually follow through on some huge project like that, it's it's intimidating and also kind of just like draining because it like consumes every aspect of your life. Totally, I feel like some, I feel like probably a lot of people have said this, but some I read somewhere a couple years back that just was advice about filmmaking and someone said something like you really need to you know really love the idea or whatever your film is because you're going to be dealing with it for so long <laughs> that if you don't love it you're going to realize it along the way right that is so true i mean yeah it takes so long and it's it needs to mean a lot to you or it'd be you know easier to give up because it's hard and long road <laughs> yeah i feel like i've learned kind of the like kind of stuff I more want to make in that way. Like ultimately if it's something that doesn't mean enough to me, I'm like, okay, that much work is not worth it. And it's hard to know because you just want, keep wanting to make stuff. But I think you just need to sit on ideas for a while to, to know for sure if it's worth, if it's worth it. Right. I mean, if you're getting paid to make stuff, that's a different thing, but yeah. it takes so much of you that you need to really love it. Yeah, it's it's there's something there's like this this weird feeling like you you're so excited when you finally get that footage and you see the movie and it's finally done, but then as soon as it's done and it's been out there, you have like this empty spot that you need to fill again and, and make another film and then you go through the entire grueling process all over again. It's I it's I it's like a sick it, addiction (laughs) it is it is like being addicted to something and it's you know in some ways it's it's good but in other ways it's it's so trying and it's so hard have you mostly had really um positive experiences since you've been doing this they've been positive but the two like bigger projects near the end of them i've just felt like defeated like or like i just can't wait for a break from worrying about all the little details and decisions. Um, I feel like I, well, I always, (laughs) I didn't deal with this on my, like on my projects I've made that are only a minute or so long. I don't feel this way maybe because they're just such a fast thing to get done. But call girl, I'm a stylist. I feel like I go through like a post production depression is what I call it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because I think production is so it's so fun and everyone on set, it's such a bonding thing. And then post is such a lonely thing. I mean, there's people working together, but everyone kind of on their own together, you know, and it's something, there's just times throughout it that I just, 
it's just a bummer time. <laughs> it's just like up and down the whole time for me. I don't know. Maybe I just love to be on set so much. I think that post post is a bit lonely, <laughs> but it's so it's the more exciting time because you see it come together. Yep. We're actually redoing part of the sound design on the stylus right now, so it, it's really felt like the project that'll never end. Um, <laughs> when I'm done with this, I'm just going to write and market that I'm not jumping into another shoot or anything for quite a while. Are you I getting like burnt my, out? My brain needs a break. Uh, I just feel like just exhausted from it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't blame you. Who do you have? Do, I think I ran into is Nick Ellert. Doing uh, your your score for that one? Yeah, he's done. A, he did. He did that. He did Grammy the micro short I made this year also, and he did my music on the Blood Drive. So once he did the stylus, I'm like, you're doing it. We're doing everything together from now on. He's fucking awesome. He is so good, and that's such a hard. I mean, I don't know. In my experience, I. I think that's a hard thing to direct because you can say only say so much about the music. You can give references and tell how you want it to feel, but it's like someone either like they get it or they don't get it. And God, it's like every time he just sends me something and I'm like, how do you like, I don't understand how that comes out of a person. (laughs) It's amazing. I agree. It's a matter of you either have that perceptive uh, quality about you that that kind of empathizes with what's going on in screen you kind of understand what the the thematic uh feeling is for it and you just go for it and everything that that nick's done i've seen so far has been so on point and so dense that yeah. it that it, it just like it envelops you and it, and it gives it such uh a quality like the films just become go to the next level as opposed to just your general kind of you know stock score that you find on a lot like everybody that goes to incompetech.com and (laughs) and raids that website for the short films when i hear those songs that you've heard online like that i'm like come on guys we've all heard this song don't use this (laughs) um you know but yeah about nick he gets how to just make it feel like it's supposed to feel. He like, oh my god, he's so good. Yeah, he's the stylist awesome. is really emo- meant to be emotional, and it's a sad bummer ending. And his music is just it's perfect. We went more of like a classical route, like piano, and the people that have seen it have that's complimented like immediately he's just so good yeah i love him man like his his band northless i i can't say enough of it. well one awesome wisconsin doom metal band you guys haven't heard them go check them out fucking you you've heard them if you've seen my movie hole in the wall you've heard them they're at the very end so we've talked about the stylist quite a bit can you do an elevator pitch what is uh the plot synopsis what is the stylist it's a psychological film. It follows a girl named Claire and her obsession with perfection, how far she's willing to go for it. It's really kind of more of a drama horror film. It's the goriest thing I've ever made, but also meant to leave you just totally bummed out. I'm really excited because it's the first thing I've ever made like this and kind of more the direction I want to go with my stuff. It's very inspired by. Leatherface and May. That's why I brought all those kind of characters up. Um, I'm excited about it. 
That's good. Do you have any uh, cons lined up for it right now? No, we're going to go for festivals first. I'm a snob. Sorry, convention. <laughs> you keep screenings at conventions are not very good. Let's be no. honest. Yes. Yes. Um, but I'm really waiting for that sound design to be done. Then I'll be submitting to places like Fantasia and Fright Fest and all the festivals kind of start into summer. But I'm going to go crazy once we get this baby freaking finished. <laughs> awesome. I can't um, wait to I can't wait to see it cuz I've been listening to Pata talk about it now for fuck. It's been almost a year. Oh no, what does he say about it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just make you feel very uncomfortable? <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder yeah, I've I've just had these fears that because it's taken so long, people think that something must be wrong with it. But really, I've like everyone's excited about it. I'm excited about it. It's just been like jumping from you know a teeny tiny project to a giant one for a filmmaker, a very new filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of it's why I could finish these other two projects so quick because I like learned as I went through the stylus and now I'm like, okay, I can get through these things much quicker now that I understand the order of everything. But I've put Brandon Duncan who did the credits on pity. Also, he did the stylist through hell because he's had to change so many things because we did the credits and then we did the color correction that we needed to recolor the credits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just little, little things like this that are my, ignorance that's cost time and makes me feel like an asshole you know (laughs) well it's workflow workflow is a huge thing if you're not familiar with that especially in the post end i mean that's where a lot of people especially if you're dealing with people that expect money (laughs) that can get very expensive (laughs) money they must be crazy now that you've done all of these different kinds of projects, you've been kind of learning as you're going, you've been an assistant director, you've been a director, you've, you've worked as a crew member on, on a bunch of films. You, obviously, are you, you're writing all your own stuff, right? I did not write Call Girl. And then I'm, I've written with people. My last, like the stylist, I wrote the story, and then the writer of Call Girl adapted it into a script. Um, so I haven't written a lot. I've written with people and what do you feel most comfortable doing? What do you like doing the most? I like to be part of def- part of the idea. I like to be part of writing it at least. I've noticed since I have that I feel closer to those things obviously than I do with Call Girl because I it's not my idea. So, but I don't feel super confident as a writer. So I really like the stylus was like a dream situation because I wrote out a story and then that I've been thinking about for years and Eric who's a great writer Eric Havens wrote it into this script the first time I was like how did you take my gibberish and turn it into that but then we just went back and forth a million times and we you know rewrote it together but I don't know I like to write the stories but I don't feel just super I'm just am new to it all but I like working with Eric a lot of we we get each other and I think that's hard to find like all position working with anyone on these kind of things is that kind of chemistry is hard to find. Yeah. I like to definitely be involved. I think it's helpful to have someone, a partner of some kind at that stage that you can bounce ideas off of. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, do you, there's so many people that go into these projects with their own agendas and their own like this overinflated sense of ego. That's really tough to find that creative partner that's there for the right reasons. Do you feel Eric is that person for you? Yeah, he actually he wrote Call Girl and he was going to direct it, and then just we just maybe had a couple of meetings about it, and he decided that's just not his thing. He loves to write. He writes all the time, but it's just that he doesn't he's not one for the stress that of directing i i don't think anyone likes it but he doesn't want to do it at all and he actually just wrote a novel but yeah i feel like our our chemistry is perfect and the balance between it and he also has the same sorts of goals and he's for being a man like almost everything he writes is like crazy feminist more feminist than i would even write stuff and he wrote for that website that I wrote back in the day, uh, Downright Creepy, how I found Deadweight and John Pattis. So we're all this connected, crazy world. And then uh, Grammy, the short I put out this year that's just a couple minutes long, I wrote with my good friend Jill Towerman that I grew up with. So we just this idea just spawned when we were together, and she's actually a writer. She's like a copywriter at AMC Theatres. She helps me write taglines and synopsis. I'm going to have to get her on the elevator pitch stuff next. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've just been lucky to find people, and I hope to write more with Eric. He's just he's very talented. Like I said, I send him what I think is gibberish, and he turns it into this eloquent thing. I don't know how that ha- how it happens. <laughs> don't let him go. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. Well, I got to say I'm super excited to see the stylist. I've seen Call Girl. Call Girls definitely got out there, and people seem to be reacting really well to it. Have you been uh, happy with how people have been reacting to the stuff you've made so far? Yeah, um, Call Girl did a lot more than I could have expected it to do. Um, I think a lot of that's thanks to me using casting Lawrence and Tristan, which the Human Centipede had such a fan base, I think, in a lot of countries that, like, Call Girl was adapted into a comic in Japan. That mm-hmm. the comic is cooler than the movie is. I'm by far. I can't even un, like fathom that that's real. But these guys that did it now, I, I communicate with them all the time, and they're gonna sell my posters at this store they just opened in Japan called the Dead Pit. I mean, I just can't even believe the things that are happening because of this still, and it's. Call Girl still getting invited to screen places, and we finished it a couple years ago. I, I yeah, I just couldn't have imagined it would take off. And the, working with Tristan and Lawrence was a dream come true. That was just like a lucky situation, and I know that that helped me a lot. Um, but yeah, it's been unreal, and I got to, I traveled as much as I could afford to with it because you got to take advantage of that opportunity, you know. Absolutely. Um, I think that if you can afford to, of course, but it's important to, you know, like spend the time marketing and traveling with your movie if you can, because that should be considered part of the process. You know, it's not just make it, put it out there and like start making something else because that really shows people, you know, how much that means to you. I feel like it really made a difference for me and it's clearly going to make people remember your movie more if you're there and just, just things like that. It just makes a huge difference. Um, and it's, 
you deserve it after you work on something for that long. You should enjoy that part of it. If you Absolutely. Can. But it was crazy. It's fun to watch it with people because that one gets a lot of like laughs. That's why I'm really scared and excited to see my the stylist with boot people because it's not that kind of most of the things I've put out are kind of more clever and funny. And so this is way different. So what is it about what is it about it? Is it is it you're just super afraid that people aren't gonna dig what you did or what is it? Do you not get nervous when you watch your movies with people? Oh fuck yeah I do. That's all I mean. But also the first time something like this is I don't know really scary like I said it's just call girl and Grammy are both the kind of movie like you laugh and or cheer at the end it's like a high note and then the stylist is more of that kind of ending where you're just kind of you probably don't have you're just silent because it's just (laughs) a bleak ending um so it's just a totally different vibe. I'm just <laughs> excited to see it with people. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I, I, I totally. This is also another aspect of filmmaking is when you finally get it out there and have to sit in a theater with other people that weren't involved, or even do you do you find it harder when there were people that were actually involved in the film when they they finally get to see this thing? Do you feel extra sort of pressure? I think it is even more nerve wracking because you've seen it, you know, at every step a thousand times. Yeah. And these people are like, they don't remember. They just shot it. And now they have no idea what it looks like. It's interesting that now that I've worked on something like uh, Frankenstein created bikers and that, you know, I haven't seen it since just what we shot, you know, like seeing it live. So I feel nervous to see that since I have no idea what it's going to look like and I'm not even in the movie. So I imagine what it's like to be an actor in something and you just have no idea what the stuff you're in end up will look like. And then until it's totally done, it just must be a crazy feeling. <laughs> so you have these shorts, you, 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 you take them out to the festivals. What do you do after that point? Do you try, have you tried to maybe put them up online uh, to try and make some money on them or do they just kind of like go away? What I mean, what is the ultimate goal with the shorts? The ones I've finished are online to watch for free. It seems so silly to put a movie, a short film on a disc to sell. Right. <laughs> but a lot of people have asked about Call Girl, and I kind of feel like I could sell it. But I just need to freaking put it together. You know, it's all the money up front. Everything is money up front. Of course it is. Um, I would like... I thought it would be cool to maybe, you know, wait and then put a few of them on like a compilation. So at least it's more than trying to selling a five minute movie on a disc. Right. Um, Where can my listeners, if they're interested in seeing Call Girl or Grammy or even uh, the PSA, uh, the, the new Women in Horror Massive Blood Drive PSA just came out last month. You can find that. I think that's on the Sosa Sisters, their channel, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can see that uh, your your short the Lermans is in there, but the rest of this stuff, where can they go to see it right now if they want to go see it? Um, well, I actually have a website, sixtape.com with two X's, and there's just a kind of a still from each of my projects, and you can click on them and watch. They'll take you to watch each of them. Um, there's even a link on there for the blood drive, but uh, and for the comic the comic adaptation of call girl which is a free download you can do in english or japanese (laughs) um 
Yeah, they're all at that website, Six Tape, and links to all the social media, which that's a whole job on its own. I have run like 25,000 social media <laughs> accounts on each freaking platform. Oh, my God. How do you manage <laughs> all that crap? Oh, it freaking gives me a panic attack every day. Not really, but I feel like that's that's the kind of stuff I am good at, but it's stressful just keeping it all going. I ma like manage it like a crazy person. I have like lists on my phone of really of what I'll post daily. Like it's that organized. Oh my um, god. Because I like to organize so much, I've all like I've thought about I wanting to do that on other people's projects because that's I feel like a, a thing that I can do. Um, for like pre-production is my is like like what I love. Yeah, I have like four accounts on each thing, or on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. But I do I really have the little checklist on my iPhone, whatever app that is, and I'll have posts that I want to do because I won't remember to do it. I don't want to have to remember. So <laughs> and you can schedule anything out on there. Um, and you can see I am a sh I have no shame about self promotion. <laughs> I think that's like you have to do that. It makes a huge difference. Well, it's what I mean. That's the only way you'll get these films out there nowadays, and it's all right there. It doesn't cost you a cent. It only costs your time and your sanity. That's my problem. Yeah, <laughs> and with Twit, and you've you've gotten hip to Twitter lately. It's on Twitter. You can connect with. Just crazy people, like just in a totally different way than yeah, Facebook literally does. crazy people, literal crazy, literal people. crazy. But it's so I don't know how to. It's just so interesting. It's so international, and Facebook doesn't have that kind of reach because it's more. It's really person, more personal. Even though it's huge, it's not like your stuff is just popping up everywhere. Right. There's something about. I mean, it is. It's amazing the kind of reach you can get, and then you can. You know, you can find out about there's a like a horror film festival in every city in the world, pretty much. Mm -hmm. That's what's so amazing about this genre is you can, if you really seek it out, you can get your stuff shown all over the place. And there's stuff like Slaughter Movie House all over the place too. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, you just got to get out there and and take the time. And and the thing I've found, and I think you and I have kind of talked about this off air as well, is just like. If you are a filmmaker or you are like, say, we're on a podcast right now, you're a podcaster, you're a creator of any sort of media. It's a matter of being consistent and going at it every single day. And that's been a problem of mine for a really long time is that, oh, man, what the fuck am I going to say? I got to I, I got to tweet something today. <laughs> otherwise people are gonna forget me that's my problem that's why all of a sudden i've just finally gotten hip to tweeter or tweeter twitter <laughs> it's because i'm just like when i don't feel like saying anything i don't say anything but i feel like what i've learned is you got to keep twi uh, tweeting stuff otherwise your account goes dead and everyone unfollows the fucking thing yeah twitter is very like involved it's just like conversations it's not so much like you post something and it's going to be there for, you know, like on your timeline on Facebook, you see the same fucking thing for like two days. Yep. And Twitter, it's like you can say something ridiculous. No one's going to see it. Maybe like two people are going to see it. <laughs> it's just so instant and like there's less importance behind it. It's like you could tweet a thousand times a day. Probably no one's going to see it or care. 
on Facebook, that would be incredibly annoying and everyone would hate you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and you can communicate with, like, people you just are, th- like, people you idolize or, like, a, some fil- like a filmmaker I've loved forever or for the last couple of years in, from Indonesia I've connected with on there. It's just crazy things like that. It's pretty cool. But there are, like you said, actual crazy people on yeah. Twitter. Well, 100%. <laughs> so speaking of uh, social media, let's let's go ahead and let's give the listeners uh, where they obviously they can find you at uh, your website uh, and social media. Are you just uh, Jill Six or how can they get a hold of you on, on Twitter and <clears throat> various platforms? Um, yeah, Jill Six on Twitter and Instagram. And then I have a Twitter for my production company, Six Tape. And there's one for the stylists and call girl. And then same thing on Facebook. There's one for the stylist, call girl, and six tape. And me. And Slaughter Movie House. Uh, you should follow Slaughter Movie House for sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, Man, I'd kill myself if I had that many things to sit and manage. It is crazy. <laughs> but with Slaughter, like I'll program our films six months in advance so that I can – I don't have to think about any of that. Oh, my God. That's the only way. <laughs> I've considered many times quitting, but I just love it so much. But it's, yeah, it takes a lot of time. And sometimes I'm like, fuck this. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. Um, so if, if there are any uh, filmmakers out there, how do they submit their stuff to the Slaughter Movie House? How do they get a hold of you? Um, we have, There's a website, slaughtermoviehouse.com. And there's a little spot to submit there. Or you could just send them through the uh, messenger on Facebook. But it's free submissions, and we take shorts and features, all kinds of stuff. We don't, and we take not just horror. Like we'll do anything that's dark and twisted. Really, <laughs> um, we've shown like dark comedies. We've shown almost just like dark dramas, exploitation, kind of sci-fi. So yeah, anything crazy. <laughs> cool and it's a hey you showed hole in the wall so you're willing to show just about anything so <laughs> yes. uh definitely yeah and you even let blade braxton into the building to watch it and that's just flabbergasting to me that you allowed that man to, to be seen in public with other individuals well he is from kansas city and he, he comes often um i'm pretty sure he'll be at our next one with liam the, our director from the uk They've worked together on something on trauma before. I somehow this world is that small. I don't even know. (laughs) Oh, see, I was gonna say you're gonna allow Blade Braxton to be in a theater with just a director, just those two. Seeing how nobody else is is going to show up to the screening, (laughs) as you've already doomed it. It's just gonna be this guy and Blade Braxton. This this can't be a good thing. Can't be a good. Blade will make it seem like there's a lot of people there. Yes, this is this is very true. This is very true. Well, Jill, thank you for coming on my show. Thank you for having me. Listeners, uh, if you want to learn more about Astro Radio Z, you can uh, go to astroradioz.com. You can find us, obviously, on the Twitter page that all of a sudden I decided to start doing something about. You'll actually be able to get a hold of me there. Can you imagine it? The 21st century, whatever, 2016, Derek's finally decided to start looking at Twitter as something other than a bunch of idiots writing half sentences to each other back and forth. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so you can get a hold of me. Now on you're one of those idiots. <laughs> I am one of those idiots now. Um, and I'm actually quite enjoying it um, because I hate Facebook. I'm really gotten to the point where I just don't like being on that site whatsoever. But of course, you can find me on Facebook at <laughs> Astro Radio Z. And you can also find me at Twitter at Astro Radio Z. You can contact the, me at, uh, via email at Astro Radio Z podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, anywhere you can find podcasts. And you can find us on YouTube. So again, from Jill and I, thanks for listening. See you next time. Mr. Carey. <laughs> Hello? Hello? I'm also using my phone, so if I were on the video, I'd have to prop it up just perfectly. <laughs> just perfectly, or you could just hold it like those people <laughs> yeah, that are constant, the whole that time are facing myself.
Do you have friends that insist on doing FaceTimes like all the time instead of phone, regular phone calls? I do not. I have this one dude. I've known him for years, probably almost shit. I want to say almost 20 years I've known this dude. Insists. Every single time I, I contact the guy, he wants, I'm like, dude, I love you. You're a great friend of mine, but I don't want to sit and look at your face on FaceTime. I mean, shit, we're sitting next to each other. I'm barely looking you in the face. <laughs> it's awful to say, but it's true. <laughs> it just feels really weird on FaceTime. Like you're forced to have to stare at somebody the entire time. <laughs> that is true. All right. We I ready? only FaceTime with weirdos like you. With me? <laughs> have we FaceTimed yeah. in the past? No. <laughs> Well, I guess now. Now, we've, I've now cursed myself, and now from here on out, I have to FaceTime with you. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I'll make sure I remember that. <laughs>